Hey, welcome to On Mic with Jordan Rich. I'm he, and we feature conversations with creative, inspiring artists and game changers, from voice actors, writers, and stage performers to marketing specialists, journalists, and storytellers. And today, I'm very excited to welcome Christine Dunn, an award-winning media strategist with more than two decades working in both journalism and corporate communications. Christine worked for over a decade at Bloomberg News here in the Boston area as a reporter, editor, and senior manager. She now headlines her own company called Arc Point Strategy, and she's passionate about introducing true thought leaders to the world. Christine, welcome to On Mike. Great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me here, Jordan. You're a very impressive lady, and uh, you've done a lot and are doing a lot in the world of public relations and marketing and news, and uh, you have a passion for helping others. Let's start out, though, with where you're from. You told me off air that you were born in the New England area. That's nearby. Right. That's right. Born in Connecticut, raised in New York State. And then my mom was originally from the Philippines. So many summers I spent out in Manila. And when I was a teenager, we actually got moved out to Hong Kong. So I spent my high school years out in Hong Kong. Wow. Was that for dad or mom's work or yep, something? Exactly. Banker's brat, as they say. <laughs> so we moved out there and lived out there. And my parents actually stayed there for a long time. Mm-hmm couple of decades. Um, but uh, I ended up, you know, coming back when it was time for college and all of that. We're glad you're here because you've made an impact on this community. And let's talk a little bit about the world of news and what you contributed. You worked with and for Bloomberg, which is one of the world's most well-known news networks, certainly for financial news for the most part. How did you get involved in them? So I was really interested in kind of the um, the intersection of business and politics, and uh, I was at, I was getting my degree, my master's degree over at the Fletcher School, and I ran a conference um, on, at the time, most favored nation status in China, between the U.S. and China. And I was really interested by what I had observed as, you know, as a young person in Hong Kong, where so many um, American businessmen were um, contributing to explaining what was going on in China at the time and how it was kind of an emerging economy um, and that intersection of kind of business as the new diplomacy fascinated me. So being somebody who loved to write and loved to observe, it seemed natural to move into business journalism. And that's how I ended up getting involved at Bloomberg. And you did get involved in a big way because you actually opened the bureau here in Boston. Is that right? No, I didn't open the bureau, but I was bureau chief for a number of years. I started actually down in the Princeton, New Jersey office. Um, I say I was the lowest man on the totem pole in the entire organization. I would come in at 10 of 5 in the morning and drag in all the newspapers, and my job was to summarize the news of the day that we hadn't covered in time for the traders to see it before they started trading in the morning. Mm -hmm. Worked my way up to bureau chief, and uh, Boston at the time was the second largest market in North America for Bloomberg, so I ran that for a few years. That's, by the way, an interesting stat. Boston, number two, as opposed to Chicago or Los Angeles. I mean, New York is number one, I imagine, right? Right, right. Well, if you think about all the mutual funds and then the spinoff hedge funds mm. that you know are here in the Boston area, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got Fidelity, State Street. I mean, all of those, they all use the Bloomberg terminal, so... That you know, they're going to be big consumers of the information. The Bloomberg model is the terminal, quote unquote, and it's mm-hmm. also live media. It's also the radio. You mentioned to me earlier that you had something to do with setting up some of the radio here in town. Well, when we were um, when we were here in the bureau, when I moved up, we decided that we wanted to expand the footprint 
here in New England. So um, so I helped the broadcast desk kind of get a foothold in bringing in, you know, building out a, a small TV studio and, mm-hmm. and getting radio going. What is the Bloomberg philosophy? I don't think it's changed. Maybe it has morphed a little bit regarding news and presentation, because unlike CNN, Fox, MSNBC, and the other networks of its kind, even CNBC, it seems to be a very straight-laced, down-the-middle, objective reporting organization, which is rare these days. I mean, when I was there, that was definitely the philosophy. And it was really, what did the numbers tell you? You know, and so when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, why is something trading? Go and find the reason why. Um, you know, when you're playing it by the numbers, then it becomes about the facts. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just a different approach. And, you know, if you look even stories today written about Mike Bloomberg and, you know, everything that he's getting involved in, he's doing it by the numbers. He's looking at the data, right? And, And that's kind of the general philosophy of everything that was done there at the time. So in your training, in your schooling and all that, did you take journalism courses? I didn't take any journalism courses at all. No, I was actually an Asian studies and mm. business major. Um, but I love to write and I love to observe people and I love to observe trends. So it was kind of a natural fit for me. We're going to be talking about some of your other passions and some of the work you're doing at your own company, ArcPoint and so forth. But when you were covering and working in the news bureau here in Boston, were you able or did you have the access to cover stories that were not of a financial nature if they were big enough? I mean, how did that Absolutely. I mean, covering general news of New England was actually a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, my philosophy for the Bureau was taking a look and seeing, well, what was important to the region Mm -hmm. and what was important to the people who were using the you know terminals and consuming the information. So actually, while I was here, I actually started the education desk. And the reason um, we started covering education is because it's one of the biggest exports here in the Boston area. Absolutely. So and, you know, education is a business. And everything is tied to the economy in one way or another, whether it be entertainment, education, healthcare. it's all related, right? I mean, it all factors down to dollars and cents somewhere. Absolutely. And, you know, all of that kind of contributes to you know, the ecosystem that creates everything that we know. You've moved on from that. First of all, do you miss it? Oh, I, I think once you have journalism in your blood, it is always yeah. there. And yeah. it's it's really been a driving force behind the way I approach all of my work now. Um, and even the projects that we choose to do at ArcPoint are all kind of driven around, well, what's the story? What can we validate? What's credible? Um, and what adds value in the marketplace? I think that that's kind of a driving philosophy. Well, in public relations, uh, the great Edward Bernays founded the whole idea of public relations. It's more than just, let's see if we can get somebody's name mentioned in the local paper or online or you know picked up by TMZ. Well, maybe you don't want that. Uh, it really is more than that. What's your PR philosophy or PR dictum? Because you, you, you laid it out just a minute ago, but go further into that. If you, would. you know... I, because I think, because of my background, kind of studying the markets and all of that, I always kind of ask myself, what kind of story would I want to get behind? And I think in the industry today, um, there really is kind of uh, two types of PR out there. There's what I would call commodity PR, which is you're just trying to push something out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think there's, you know, thought leadership driven PR. And you could count advocacy PR in there and um, maybe some product launches and service launches. Where I like to play is even more niche It's, are you a leader among thought leaders? And Mm -hmm. I think that the reason I distinguish that is because thought leadership today has almost become cliche as well. We have so much noise going on in our digital world today. 
It's how do you even distinguish among the thought leadership? That's a great question. And I'll ask you to give me an example of one of your clients or somebody you admire, somebody you've worked with who you would classify as a thought leader. You know, I had the uh, opportunity to work with Brian Mitchell, who was the um, former president of Bucknell University. And he wrote a book earlier this year that was launched by Johns Hopkins University Press called how to run a college. And he's been kind of looking at the landscape of higher education here in the U.S. and saying, okay, you know, how can we run these institutions of greater learning even better than we have today Um, and ensure access to, you know, students who want to, you know, expand their education? Mm -hmm. It was a real privilege to work with somebody like that because here he was, I mean, you know, he was a university president in leadership, Um, and, you know, in his, you know, post university leadership years, he still wanted to make an impact. He still Mm. wanted to be a driving force in it. And he had a lot of ideas for continuing to improve the quality of the education that kids have access to here today. So your work is leaving a mark. It's making a difference in, in your estimation because you're able to present a guy like this to a much bigger audience, and he's going to have impact, which means what you're doing has impact. I would hope so. That yeah. would be my goal. Yeah. You know, to find those people who really feel like they're adding value to the market in some way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that to me is, is, is a gift back to the community. That's what I would hope. Where do you think this comes from? Your folks, uh, your upbringing, this idea that it's not just one thing to be successful and to make money and to be in the driver's seat, but it's another thing to do something that has some meaning. Does this stem from childhood, do you think? Or are you just wired that way? No, I I, I mean, maybe a little bit is wired that way. I mean, when you come from a mixed background like I do, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I came from a mixed background at a time when it wasn't as common to come from a mixed background. A little so. more challenging when you're a right. youngster, yeah. Kind of straddled two worlds from, you know, from birth. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I definitely um, was raised in an environment where that was encouraged. My American grandfather was a Methodist minister. And um, so this idea of service and community was just, you know, part of the fabric of his life. And then my Filipino grandfather was actually a general in the army, but in World War II, So this idea of service to country was very strong. There's a a book that I really enjoy reading called What Makes a Hero? And it's the science of, shall we say, empathy and courage and and offering yourself up. Not necessarily stopping a train or or disabling a bomb. Not that kind of heroism, although that does exist. But it's the everyday heroism. Sounds like the thought leaders you're inviting into your world and working with, and you say playing with in a sense. These are the kind of people who exhibit this inner strength to do good for other people. Am I right? I think so. But, you know, to me, leaders are born, you know, in all walks of life. You know, is there a is there a child in middle school who stands up for another child and prevents bullying? Mm. Right. Is there another child out there who has a, a kid's back and won't let them drive home drunk? Leadership is born in, in so many ways. Um, and, uh, being able to encourage people to think of themselves that way, I think is, is kind of the beginning of, of creating community. Well, ArcPoint is successful. And do you, do you attribute that to the law of attraction? You're looking for these kinds of people to work with, they're finding you. It must work both ways. I think, I think you do start to attract like-minded people, um, over time, but mm. I think it takes time. Um, and I think it takes a lot of patience in terms of 
finding people who want to invest themselves in that way. And I think that that's a key point. You know, are you invested right. in it? This podcast is all about creative people. And in some cases, it's media and how media is attained and worked through and so forth. So I'm going to ask you a couple of public relations how-to questions. What's different about PR in 2018 than, say, 2010 or 2000? I mean, it, because newspapers, you know, you don't necessarily send a press release out to a newspaper and expect it to get printed, but yet there are a gazillion places that that thing might show up. I mean, do you have to really update your your glossary to know what's happening in this changing world? Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that each industry, so life sciences, technology, education, um, have very defined ways of covering themselves. So, for example, um, in technology, a lot of the technology reporters don't want to be contacted by email or by phone. Mm. They like to reach out on Twitter. They engage with each other there. Um, you know, they don't want to be pitched to. Um, they want to they want to find you. So creating visibility in some way so that you're interesting to them mm. um, is is where you have to be creative in your approach. In life sciences, you have um, more use of press releases in a lot of ways. And, you know, even things like I'm speaking at a conference and it's two paragraphs, um, they put it out there on a press release. And right. so you're more likely to see that medium out there. Mm -hmm. Or something like education, you know, you want to pick up the phone, and you want to call them, you want to have a conversation with them. So it really depends on the nature of the industry and, and the audience and the flavor of the media that's covering them. And of course, it's always still coming down to one facet. You're in a people business, human to human contact business, which is unusual. People connecting, you know, either on the phone or in person. But do you find that that's still a great way to break ice and get things moving? Oh, I think that's absolutely number one. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that this is fundamentally a people business, but it's also a story business. And I think that um, I think that there's a lot of assumptions out there, particularly in the kind of the commodity PR world, that it's just about oh, I have a, I have a reporter connection, so I can get my story placed. Um, in our in our view of the world, um, if you have a really good story, people are going to want to cover it. So focus on that quality, mm. not just mm. quantity. And it's the way that story is framed and presented. That's where experts come in, experts in your area. Because people do have great stories. They just don't know how to necessarily bring them out to the world. But storytelling is a an art that's been part of humankind since men and women walked the earth, right? There's no question about it. And people out there listening are still thirsty for good stories. Absolutely. And and finding, you know, what can I learn or what kind of value can I add here? Or mm -hmm. um, what kind of new idea can I get out of this? Or how can this help me? Those are the questions people are asking. That's why they listen. That's why they read. That's why they watch. Well, I would call you a thought leader for all that you've provided us with today because there's a lot of, I think, zeal and passion in your voice to do good work and to really spread the good word and help people understand concepts that can help them. So I wish you the best. I congratulate you for that. What does the future hold at this point? And do you have a long range goal? I'm hoping to help work with the next generation of people who want to work with media. That's my goal. I want to focus on quality media mm. and and help people really conceptualize that. They have so many options today and and so many different paths and avenues. How do you deal with it? How do you handle it? And and how do you really make the best use of it? I mean, that for me is the future. Bravo and here here and all the other uh, accolades. That's important. People have to get back to understanding what writing is all about and how important that is. And they have to read as well as listen. But it's terrific. Your website is arcpoint, 
arcpointstrategy.com. That's A-R-C, arcpointstrategy.com. And people can check you out and certainly get in touch. And I know you're looking for thought leaders. I would venture to say we have a few million out there, maybe tooling around the internet, listening to a podcast like this. So who knows? Thank you so much, Jordan. Very nice to meet you, Christine, and congratulations. Thank you. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good. 